Last week, I know um, some of the passage, uh, this passage, the first part of the passage we already uh, heard from Pastor Jay last week. But just to put it in context, I just, uh, we just had that passage on here. So, you know, last week, uh, Pastor Jay uh, talked about the root cause, right, of all, all our sins, all, all of our pain and suffering, is that it is the rebellious heart and the attitude that says that I am right and God is wrong. Right? So it, sin essentially dethrones God right, in our hearts. So we basically say that I don't really care what God says. I mean, I hear what God says and what God wants me to do, but I don't really care. Right? I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Right? I'm calling my own shot. I will be my own God. And that is really the essence of sin. That we, I'm going to choose what is right and what is wrong for me. Right? I'm not going to let God tell me what is wrong and what is right, right. It's just an assertion of autonomy. It's a spiritual mutiny. And this sin has really has had a devastating devastating effect in our lives. And um, yeah, even just uh, in my own personal life too, it really brings a lot of grief and suffering. For example, um, yesterday... Um, I saw, uh, so uh, just to just put that in context, um, so uh, we are moving uh, this week, uh, later this week, moving to Fairfax, uh, closer to be uh, the church and just to be able to you know, host uh, small groups and what, whatever. And um, so we are moving and so we're pretty busy packing, right? And um, so if you come to my place right now, it's like a tornado went through our place. It's just like, like, I didn't even know there was so much junk that we had all those years living there. And so it's just crazy. Um, and so um, we are in the process of packing, and it's just crazy. And um, yesterday, I saw um, Calvin. Some of you guys know Calvin. And um, so we were just talking a little bit. And, um, you know, if, uh, he's a uh, diehard you know, Dallas Cowgirls fan. I mean, like, he loves them. They, I, I don't know why. He's from this area, and I just don't understand why he would be such a fan. Um, and say, hey, you know, there's a game uh, tomorrow. And so, you know, there's a few things that I really hate or despise. One of them is Dallas, Dallas Cowgirls, right? I just can't stand them. Um, they think they're the America's team and whatever. And I, just, I just cannot stand them, right? So I thought, oh, and he said, hey, why don't you just go? Let's just watch the game together. I was like, you know what? In my mind, I was like, okay, I'm a Redskins fan, and so it's a good opportunity. If we win, I can just rub it in, right, in his face. And also, the thing is, um, I don't, we, don't, uh, we cut off our TV service, so I, I wasn't able to, I was gonna able to watch it anyways. Um, and so my wheel was turning. I said, hmm. And then, um, but then, obviously, I have to get my wife's okay. Um, and I knew if I were to just ask her directly, I knew she was going to say no, right? And so, but then uh, I happened to be with some of, some of, our, uh, of our church people, right, in the table. So I was thinking, hmm, if I ask her when there are other people, maybe she not, she's not going to say yes, right? Then uh, she's not going to say no, so then I can go and just watch the game uh, instead of packing, helping her pack, Right? And so it was my uh, manipulative way, my sinful desire to take over. I mean, I knew what I was supposed to be doing, right? I was supposed to help her out and then just pack, right? Because we need to, to move this week. 
Uh, but, you know, I just want to get away from it and just watch the game. So, in front of our church people sitting around the table, I asked her, Hey, you know, Calvin wants to watch the game together. Can I watch, go and watch the game? And then she paused a little bit because she was kind of caught off guard. And then she said, We'll talk about this later. <laughs> and as soon as I heard it, I was like, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I was hoping that somehow by putting pressure and just putting her on the spot that she had no choice but to say yes so that I would get her permission to go and watch the game. But she said, we're going to talk about this later. And surely, on the way back home, we talked. And guess what happened? I will be staying home and packing and helping her pack today. Like the whole day, forget the football game. Um, why am I saying this? It's, it's just that sinful nature in us will, you know, somehow just try to just get what we want, right? And that's what we do all the time. And so I think, um, so, you know, our understanding of the fall is really important. So I just want to consider a few other aspects uh, of the fall. So that's why the title of my message is Biblical Understanding of the Fall. You know, when we read this passage, we kind of often skim through because we are familiar with this passage. We know what it says because it's a well-known story, just like the story of David and Goliath. Uh, We kind of quickly conclude, uh, you know, yeah, we know what this passage says. Adam and Eve Eve disobeyed and... um, you know, disobeyed God, and so they became sinful. That's what this passage says, right? We already know this story from early on. If we grew up in the church, we already know this story. Next, and we move on. But you know, if we think about it, the fall has altered the entire course of human history. It really changed everything, right? I remember, I'm old enough to know what it was like to fly before 9-11. And there was no security like checkpoint like we do now. But, uh, so I remember what it was like before 9-11 and after 9-11. It forever changed the way we view security or our understanding of security. I remember a time when I didn't have a smartphone, right? I used to have the dumb phone or the, 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 the pager. I, I don't know if you guys even know that. And so I remember that time when I didn't, you know, and back then when I had the dumb phone, right, it was good enough for me. But now, now that I have a smartphone, I just don't know how I will survive without the smartphone, right? It really changed a lot of things, the way we think, the way we behave. So then, when it comes to the fall, how did it really change things? So we're going to consider a few ramifications of the fall. And the first thing is a loss of innocence and glory. That's the first point. How, how did the fall change things? There was a loss of innocence and glory. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, they were innocent. Right? There was no sin, no shame, no guilt. They lived a sinless life. Something that none of us can really uh, I guess really relate to. But they lived that life without sin. They had the sinless relationships. Right? They had that between them 
and God, there was any, there wasn't anything that was like really hindering them, right? impeding their relationship, uh, uh, fellowship with God, and also between Adam and Eve themselves, there was no sin, there was no shame, nothing, no guilt, and even with all creation, they lived in perfect harmony. We can only imagine what it must have been like. They were innocent. But with the fall, they were no longer innocent. They got into finger-pointing, accusing, and never admitting to their own guilt and fault. And this continues to this day. Even today, what we often hear is when people get called out, oh, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And so we, we have this victim mentality. Oh, you know, the way I uh, did this is, is a result of the, the childhood that I came from. This made me this way. I, if I just really abuse somebody, well, you know, it's really not my fault, but the society around me really steered me in such a way that I would like, really mess up things. So I'm a victim. And that's their defense oftentimes. And we are, many of us really just kind of cling to that. I'm a victim. I'm not really guilty. I'm not going to really own up to this because it's really the people around me. It's my parents' fault. It's, my, it's the society's fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's not really me. I'm just simply a product of the social ill and the way the society is. So we kind of just shift blame on other people. You know, uh, one of the most frequent objections and the questions about Christianity that I hear is this. Well, what about people in Africa? Would they go to hell just because they didn't hear the gospel? That just doesn't seem fair. And what about the people in the Old Testament time who were who are non-Jews? What about them? They never had a chance to hear the gospel. Right? It's just, it's just not fair that God would send all these people to hell. How can a loving God do this? You guys ever hear that or thought of it? Now, the presumption in that line of thinking is this. The people are innocent. And they don't really, they deserve better. They do not deserve hell. People are innocent so, so the, um, when people are sent to hell, that's like, how can God do this? So the, the, the starting point is that people are innocent. But biblically speaking, that presumption is wrong. People are not innocent. Scripture says that no one is innocent. I know. Um, I mean, I know Pastor Jay tries to like portray me as a really nice guy, oftentimes. But you know, I mean, it's just the way. It, uh, and I know it sounds very harsh and cold-blooded. But if you really want to be faithful about what the Scripture teaches, then this is the understanding that we have to have: that no one is innocent, no one is righteous. So when people say, "How can God send people?" innocent people to hell. That line of thinking from the beginning point, the, the framing of the issue, right, is wrong because no one is innocent before God. So we have this picture in our mind that we are in this somehow 
Everybody is innocent. We are in this kind of intermediate or like a neutral stage state. And God shows people down to hell while he's saving some people and, make, and allow them to go to heaven. But the Bible tells us, what the Bible tells us is that that's not the right way of looking at things. Right? Because scripture says no one is righteous, so we all are already destined to go to hell. We all are already down there. Right? We have no choice. And God, out of his sovereign grace and mercy, that God has chosen some to be with him up in heaven. So it's not like, we, we shouldn't think of it like, you know, we are in this kind of, in, between heaven and hell, and we are right in the middle. We are kind of innocent, or like, we are neutral, and then God pushes some people down to hell, hell, some people lift them up to go to heaven. That's not the picture that we are to have. Scripturally speaking, we all, we all are already hell-bound. Right? But God graciously, for the reason that's like unknown to us, God has graciously chosen some to be with him, lift them out of hell, and brings, up, brings us into heaven, God's elect. You see, the age of innocence was pre-fall, and it no longer exists. However, in our fallen nature, we keep pretending to be innocent, not guilty, your honor, and we we'll say, uh, we, we'll say to, uh, to that to God all the time. Ever since Adam and Eve, we say, not guilty, not my fault, I'm a victim. It's somebody made me do this. R.C. Right. Sproul said this, we are not sinners because we sin, and that's what most people think. We are, uh, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. Do you see the difference? We are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. What he's saying is that our act of rebellion and sin is a result of our sinful nature. We just cannot help but sin. We think that we are somehow in this innocent stage. We were innocent, but the sin, the, the acts of sin that we have done made us sinful. No, 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 no. Scripture is speaking from the beginning, from the birth, right? If the point of conception, we are sinful, all of us. I know it's hard for us to swallow and take, but that's what the scripture teaches us. Right? So, us being uh, sinning, it's just a, bi- uh, it's just a natural uh, thing, because our nature itself is very sinful. You know, when you look at the, the little uh, children, infants, you know what? It's really, they're really selfish, right? I mean, you don't have to tell them. I mean, every parent would want their children to be selfless, really ethical, and really, you know, just like humble and all those things. But when you put, and the, when the kids are really young, they have no concept of what is right, what is wrong, because they're too young. But if you just put one ball between the two babies, guess what's going to happen? Both of them are going to try to just grab it and fight over it. They have no concept, and yet, even in there, because there's a nature is sinful, they want it, even though it's not even theirs, and they don't want to share it. No, it's mine. No, I want it. And then just get into fights. Parents certainly didn't tell them and teach them to be selfish, right? They're just born that way, every one of us. 
So even the most innocent-looking babies, infants, I'm sorry, right? They're, they're really cute, I mean, by the way. And definitely, relatively speaking, they're definitely more uh, innocent than all of us, the adults. But still, deep in their heart, their very nature is sinful. And it's explained here. Right? I'm going to go a little deeper, uh, talk about it a little, little later about that, the original sin and what it means to us. Um, so, I think, uh, so whenever we have questions like that, we have to make sure that our starting point is not, okay, we are innocent, and God is making us do this. God's doing this. So why, how can God do that? Right? But when you start asking questions like that, your starting point is that we are innocent. We deserve better. God's making us, or sending people to hell. No. Scripturally, we all are already not, we lost our innocence since the fall. So none of us really deserve anything from God. So just the fact that He would bring us into His um, heaven, it's an act of grace, His sovereign choice. And also the fall resulted, um, <clears throat> uh, because of the fall, it resulted in the loss of glory. Right? We don't really think of it that way, but before the fall, we, uh, man fully reflected the glory of God, because we were created in God's image. Right? We, were to, we were commanded to subdue the earth, right? rule the earth. And God gave us the authority, God gave Adam the authority to name even beasts, the birds of the air. Right? He has given him the authority to name animals. You know, when parents give name to their newborn baby, they have that power because they are the, the parents. They have the power to give name to the infant. And the children are the reflection of the parents. Right? So when the child grows up and he gets honored, guess what? The parents get honored as well. But when the child uh, grows and then he does shameful things, it does not reflect well on the parents. So even though Adam and Eve did not create the animals, but God still gave them, God, God still gave Adam the power to name each animal. It was their glory. It was his glory and honor to do so. It is because man was created in God's image. There was glory in us before the fall. But because of the fall, there is hardly any glory now. Right? There is no honor. Mankind does not reflect the glory of God. We lost that glory, the God-given glory. Each of us has gone his or her own way, and we insti insisted on having it our way, my way. And we demand other people to conform to our way. Obviously, when everyone does this, conflicts follow. And there is not a moment in human history where God, uh, people do not get into conflicts. There is just no end inside. We constantly are asking people to come and conform to our uh, way of thinking, doing things, 
Just like I did with, with my wife. Hey, I want to watch, watch the Redskins and Cowgirls game. I just, you know, can I just, you know, I just want to do it. And I just try to manipulate, right? That's just my sinful way, sinful attitude showing forth. We, are no, long, we no longer reflect the full glory of God. Rather, we just show how ugly and messy we have become. And we see in this passage too, we see a growing attitude of self-justification and self-defense as we've seen verses 12 and 13, right? When God uh, just asks that. No, it's the Adam said, well, it's the, the woman that you created to be with me. So it's really, ultimately, it's your fault, God. It's not my fault. She made me eat this. And the woman did the same thing. She didn't own up to her own. So it's the serpent who made me do this. They lost their innocence and they lost their glory. They show their allegiance to Satan by distorting the truth, accusing one another, and ultimately accusing God. Their efforts to conceal, conceal uh, their sin only exposes it. So no one is innocent when it comes to, uh, in, in the eyes of God. No one is righteous, no one is innocent. So let's, whenever we have questions about certain things like objections, you know, we have to start from the starting point is now people are innocent and God's not, God's, we deserve better. Especially living in a really uh, affluent society, we have this sense of entitlement. We deserve better. I deserve better. People deserve better. But when it comes to God, we do not. We are not innocent to begin with. And the second point uh, is a loss of desire for fellowship with God. Not only did we lose our fellowship with God, but we also lost that desire, that wanting, that desire to fellowship with God. Our conscience uh, condemns us, right? Which leads us to shrink from the intimacy with God. There is nothing in us that even has inkling to want God now. Sin severed our relationship with God so completely that we don't even want to be with God. In um, In our sinful nature, we say, I don't want you, God. Please, stay out of my life. I don't want you. Just stay out. I'm just going to turn deaf ears. I don't want you. Just stay out. Get away from me. Guilt, fear, and shame broke the fellowship with God that they had enjoyed before their rebellion. You know, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, yeah. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Right. Adam and Eve made coverings for themselves. And how feeble and how futile um, that is. Right. 
It was their attempt to hide their shame. Can you imagine? They were naked and they were shameful, and they tried to just make coverings, but it's the, only, it's the covering that only God could provide. But it was their way, attempt, to somehow buy redemption. No way it could cover their shame. It wasn't really a physical issue, but a spiritual problem. But we keep doing that ever since Adam and Eve. We still try to buy redemption. We still try to hide our shame, guilt, through different means, trying to do different things. The garden was a place of joy and fellowship with God. It became a place of fear and hiding. You know, when I sin, so even after that conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, I messed up. I'm a, what a wretched sinner trying to manipulate. Right? When I sin, guilt and shame immediately uh, come, and the sense of condemnation get really crippling and overwhelming. Broken fellowship with God is one thing, but now I don't even want to go to God. So, gosh, I messed up. What a, sin, uh, what a sinful person I am. And I'll keep hearing the whisper in my ears, right? You blew it, right? You blew it again. And what is wrong with you? God is not pleased with you. Just stay away from him. you're You're just not worthy of coming before God. The enemy's voice constantly reminds us. When we sin, it robs us of joy and the desire to fellowship with God. God, You know, sin has this profound, multi-layered consequences on us. It never delivers what it promises. Just like here, the serpent through serpent, Satan was just tempting them. Come on, do this. But sin never delivers what it tr- uh, what it promises. A few years back, um, uh, you know, in one of the uh, the, the TV commercials uh, was about. Um, have you guys ever? Uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen the commercial like X. It's like the man's um, like cologne thing. So you know, the commercials would say, right? That if you spray that. And because of the smell so good and so attractive, all these women would just follow. So this guy would just like just put it on. He walks around, and then all these women, and then just like start following, and then just get, just get it on, on top of him. That's the promise, right? But th- have you ever seen any guy that was? I don't know if anybody like. One time I tried it. I just wanted to see like what it t- smells like to see if it actually has any effect. I mean, of course, there's like a hyperbole. You know, it's, it's exaggerating. But it never, like, nobody ever said anything about, oh, you smell good, or nothing, right? <laughs> this is when I was single, right? They said, maybe this may, you know, walk, and then just try to just walk around near the ladies and something. No, no reaction whatsoever, right? Man, what is this? I just wasted my money, right? It does not work. Of course it doesn't work, right? But you see, that's what sin does. He, it, it promises us certain things. Or if you do this, as opposed to what God wants you to do, then this is, this is the pleasure you're going to get. And this is what's going to happen. But it never delivers. Same thing here. Sin never delivers what it promises. It only leads us to hiding and running away from God. Just like Jonah, right? When God called him to go to the city of Nineveh, and instead of obeying God's call, he disobeyed. And what did he do? He runs away. So instead of going to uh, Nineveh, which was, he was supposed to go eastward, he would just take the ship and then just go westward. 
to Tarshish, right? And in the middle of the, the sea, he, you know, you know, the great fish swallows him up, right? And eventually he has to repent and turn around and obey God. Right? That's what we do when we disobey. We are running away from him. Because there is, when we sin, not only it really affects our relationship with God, but it also robs us of the joy and the desire to fellowship with God. And the last point uh, is this. Uh, the federal headship. Huh? What, what are you talking about? What is this? Um, <clears throat> so here's the thing. God made, when it comes to the fall, right, God made the first man the representative for all his posterity. That's how it's by God's uh, divine arrangement. That's what happened. By God's appointment, Adam represented the whole human race as its federal head and brought death on all of us. It was in the will of God and the arrangement of God where Adam determined the destiny of his descendants. You know, uh, Paul, when he thought about the fall, this is what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse, verses 12 through 14. If we can turn there. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, obviously, the first Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So by God's design, that when Adam fell, because he really truly represented all of us, we all fell with him. And that is the doctrine of original sin. Right? He represents as a model and prototype mankind's hostility against God. You know, none of us were there in the Garden of Eden. So it's not really fair. Right? We may say, well, that's not fair. It's Adam who sinned. I, didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. You see, but the thing is, the, God made the first man, Adam, in such a way that he truly represented all of us. So, so it's as if we were the, if we were Adam, if we were Eve, we would have done exactly the same thing. Right? Adam truly represented who we are. The midterm election is upon us. And we vote for the candidate who would represent our values. Something that we would believe in deeply. I mean, no one is perfect, right? And, and whoever we vote for will not 100% represent us. But in the case of Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he fully and completely represented us in every possible way. So when he sinned, it's as if we have sinned because of its full and complete representation of us. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that Christ, Jesus, as it says, the, 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 the type that is to come, that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, has become also the true representative. Just as Adam truly represented all mankind, that Jesus Christ has become the true representative for all God's Elect. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says this. 
They can go there. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, talking about Adam, so one act of righteousness, Jesus Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by, by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So the bad news is that we all fell with Ad, when Adam sinned, because he was our federal head. But the good news of the gospel is, just as we all fell with him, with Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in him, surrender our lives to him, then he truly represents us in every possible way. So when we stand before God, if we are in Christ, that God would declare us righteous. I mean, who of us can honestly say that, I, that we are righteous? God, look at my life. Look at my thought life. Look at my speech. Look at my deeds. I am righteous. I am perfect. Can any one of us honestly say that? Of course not. But when we stand before God, because now before in the eyes of God, Jesus Christ truly represents, represents us. And because he lived a perfect, sinless uh, life, obedient life, that none of us could ever live or dare to live or imagine to live, he lived it for us. That when we put our trust in him, now he becomes our true representative. So that's why we live through Christ. And that is the good news. That through Jesus Christ's uh, the righteousness, now we, we've been invited. And now we are into the kingdom of God. Not because we are doing something good. You're coming here. I mean, so glad that you are here. But our attendance, our good works will never be enough. Never be good in the eyes of God. Because what God demands is perfection. Perfect obedience. And only Jesus Christ ever lived the perfect obedient life. And that obedience now, His righteousness becomes ours. Because he really represents us. So when God sees us in the midst of all the mess and the sin in our lives, God sees Christ in us. Because of the righteousness of Christ in us, now God says, you are righteous. And that is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? I just saw last night uh, the Christian meme, and it says... It was very interesting and just kind of thought-provoking. It said that uh, God is not a God of second chances, but God is a God of one chance and a second Adam. And I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, hmm, that's kind of deep. Yeah, we had one chance. Adam and Eve had one chance. And they blew it. But it's not just, and then God gives us another chance, another chance. Yes, he does. But... We all still gonna fall. We're still gonna mess up things, right? Even as Christians, we still fall. We sin. We mess up things all the time. But we have a second Adam, Jesus Christ, who has come. Just as the first Adam was the federal head for all mankind, now Jesus has become the federal head. Has truly become our representative for all of us, for God's elect, and that is good news. And here, even in the midst of the terrible point in history, we see grace. Because here, we, uh, in verse, uh, oh, I'm looking at the chapter 2. Um, 
He called out in verse um, 9. You know, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Right? Where are you? Do we really think that uh, God didn't know where they were? Where they were hiding? Of course he knew. So then why ask? Is God kind of into playing a game of uh, hide and seek? Is that what's happening here? It's like, where are you? I don't see you. I'm just going to look for you. Oh, No, that's not what's happening here. What, what is God doing? God is really showing us that God is the one who's reaching out to the fallen man. You see, it wasn't really Adam and Eve, the guilty party, that have reached out to God, even though that's what they should have done, right? After they fell, they said, oh my gosh, we've, we have sinned, we have disobeyed God, we better go to God, because God is the only source of our redemption. God is the only one who can truly cover our shame and guilt and sense of condemnation. We better run to God, we better seek after God and ask for forgiveness. Is that what happened? No. After they fell, they ran away from God as if, as if they could. Right. We see a picture of the party in need of redemption trying to run away from the only source that could truly provide exactly what they really need. The offended party, God, is the one who is seeking them out. What an incredible scene. God is seeking the sinners. It's the sinners, the, the, the way it should go, the sinner should be seeking after God because God is the only one who could truly forgive them. And yet, it's the other way around. And that is grace. Do we seek God in our sin? No. We hide, we run away from Him, but God in His mercy reached out to us while we are yet sinners by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is grace. That we didn't seek after God in our need. We ran away from it. We, we are still trying to hide or, hide or get away from God. Still just asking God to stay out of our lives. But it is God, His persistent love, that says, come. I'm coming after you. Because I love you. Right? The questions that God posed here, you know, what have you done? Okay, who told you that you are naked? All these questions were meant to induce them to come to him. It wasn't to, he wasn't asking for information because he already knew. He asked these questions. Where are you? What have you done? What is this that you have done? It's so that they can come. Because they were running. They were hiding. Why don't you come and at least own up and just you know, fess up? How unworthy we are and yet how gracious God is. Pascal said this, the doctrine of original sin seems an offense to reason, but once accepted it, or once accepted, it makes total sense of human condition. Why are we the way we are? How can the, this little, cute, innocent baby still fight and become so selfish? And that we have to just, all our lives, that we have to tell everybody, hey, behave, be unselfish, right? be ethical, we have to go through ethical classes. We have to be told what to do, how to behave, because left to ourselves, we will always resort to sinful nature. That's how we are. So how do we ever explain all this? Only the scripture in Genesis explains why we are the way we are. Right? 
So it is my prayer for all of us. You know, I know it's a little depressing things, but if you want to say, I don't want you to just only focus on the sin part, but the good news. That just as Adam was our true representative, the first Adam, but now we have the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who also is our true representative. That when we stand before God now, we don't have to stand before Him with shame, with guilt. Oh my gosh, I messed up again. No. Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ completely covers us. And when God sees us, He will look at us also with pleasure. Because God delights in His Son. That same delight is upon us too. That's why we can't really have joy in the midst of our messiness and sin and brokenness. Because Christ lives in us. So it is my prayer for all of us to understand and to really just um, live a life that is pleasing to us so that our motivation is not because, oh, if I don't do this, God's going to get upset and just He's going to be uh, you know, ticked off at me. That's not the reason why we want to live a Christian life. It is so that because Christ has secured for us this fellowship with God and the love of God for us on our behalf through His suffering and death, now we want to live for Him out of gratitude. Because we understand the gospel. Let's pray.